0: everybody i interview amazing women in underrepresented fields. There is so much more power in the world that I want to provide this woman a platform to tell their story. Please connect with us at www.bass.io and please consider supporting by sharing, liking, and commenting on the podcast. Tell all your Netflix friends and family about it. Submit a recommendation to our guests. Subscribe on your favorite podcast app and YouTube. Then you by clicking on the Anchor link and help me continue to deliver your content. I hope you enjoy and welcome to the show. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Unbossed Podcast. This month, October, is going to be all about imposter syndrome. And to further research this topic, I interviewed the author, innovator, leader, facilitator, communicator, and mentor, Lauren Volbert She is actually, uh, just wrote a book uh, called Imposter dismantle the stories you tell yourself and overcome imposter syndrome. We're going to be talking about the book and about her life. Let's tune in. I'm headed to meet Lauren at the train station. And as I do this, I reflect on what does it mean to have imposter syndrome? One minute. One minute. Imposter syndrome is defined as a psychological occurrence in which an individual doubts their skills, talents or accomplishments and has a persistent internalized fear of being exposed as a fraud. Despite external evidence of their competence, those experiencing this phenomenon do not believe they deserve their, su- their success or luck. No? Imposter syndrome. Yeah. Imposter
1: syndrome. Imposter syndrome. Imposter.
0: Imposter. Th- why does this pronounce imposter and not imposter?
1: It's imposter. You're pronouncing it wrong. So. so yeah. Imposter. Imposter. Got
0: it. I myself have experienced a fair amount of imposter syndrome throughout my career, and I feel like I still do experience imposter syndrome sometimes, especially when. Um, I am encountered with big challenges. I will talk more about my experiences with the imposter syndromes. Um, here, I'm meeting Lauren at the train station. Listen, it's the film crew. Hello. Hi. Hello. To see you. This is our B roll. Howdy. Hi. How you doing? Good. How are you? I'm
1: good. Good to see you again. Yeah. Yeah. Good to see
0: you. We're headed back to my house from the train station, and as we converse about imposter syndrome, we realize that it's um, everywhere, right? Whether it's Lauren writing a book or me doing my podcast, uh, sometimes we feel imposter syndrome in the most random place. So we decided to cut it to do this interview in two parts. The first part is going to be about Lauren and talking about the book and imposter syndrome and the research that she's done. And then the support that we decided to do outside, it was a beautiful day in Rotterdam. And um, this is the first part we're going to talk about, where we talk about being an American in the Netherlands. Uh, we talk about uh, her growing up and what brought her to where she's at now. Tune in. You're
1: an American in Europe? Yes. How is that? (laughs) (laughs) Where do I begin? Um, Yeah, I've been here for now coming up on 23 years. Mm. It'll be 23 years at the end of October. Mm. Um, It's on the surface. You can live as an American in Europe pretty easily, Mm. especially Northern Europe. They uh, respect Americans. Mm. They respect the attitude, the work ethic and everything. Um, of course, you know, they think Americans are too loud and too (laughs) opinionated, but in general, there's a lot of, you know, appreciation and respect, but then you get into the deeper levels and the deeper levels are, you have to navigate some heavy, um, cultural differences, Mm. things that are not, you're not aware of in the, on the surface. Mm. It's interesting actually, because the last place I lived in, uh, America before moving to the Netherlands is Seattle, mm. and Seattle is very similar in a lot of ways mm. to Amsterdam. Yeah, okay. Actually, um, in Seattle, everybody's known everyone since the, since kindergarten, and they don't make new friends very easily. Oh. And have known your friends? Seattle. No new friends. <laughs> Um, And so, you know, it's very hard to kind of break into uh, a friend group or, you know, make new friends uh, when you move to Seattle. And I had that experience. I was there for seven years and only really started to have friends once I had colleagues, you know, once Mm -hmm. I started working with people. Um, I had the same experience here. The Dutch tend to make friends in, again in kindergarten or very young, and then they keep their group of friends. And the first question they generally tend to ask me when I first moved here was, "And when are you moving me back?" <laughs> not in a rude way, not like fuck off, rude, you know, move back, but uh, in a way of like, "I'm not going to invest in you if you're only here for a year." Mm.
0: I asked Lauren, "How is business different in Netherlands versus America?"
1: Yeah, the, the the speed of business is probably the biggest kind of cultural difference um, when you move here from a from a business standpoint. Um, Europeans just don't feel nearly the business pressure <laughs> to move quickly that they do in America. Yeah, um, and it. it, it, it It's hard to describe, it it is a beautiful thing from the standpoint of quality of life, Yes, you know, I mean, once it's 5.30 or 6, people go home, Yeah, you're not going to get email responses, you're just, it's gonna be the next day, just let it go, it's gonna be the next day. Um, That's changing, that is changing, because Mm -hmm. a lot of people here now are working for international organizations and, you know, they are expected to be online for stuff that happens in the US later, et cetera, but in general, um, business happens between, you know, 8.30 and 5.30 and that's it.
0: 9.30, 10.
1: Yeah, maybe. <laughs> I was being generous. I was yeah. being generous. Uh, and they uh, have
0: a late start yeah, here. <laughs> yeah, they
1: do actually. Um. So, you know, the more you hype it, the less valid it seems to them. And that was a hard lesson to learn because I remember I moved here. I was, I was moved here for a job. Uh, with a PR agency that was based in Seattle. And in the first six months, man, oh man, I learned it hard. It was just literally, you know, doors in my face. Uh, You're selling, you're full of shit, you know, you're just selling me, blah, blah, blah. And, And so after about six months, I got to learn, you know, how to, be realistic and be realistic in business. Don't promise everything. Don't say yes to everything. Be realistic on what you can deliver and what you can achieve, all that stuff. And I remember my my boss came over from America uh, after about six, seven months and sat in on meetings with me. And I mean, you know, I was like, oh no, we can't do that, but we can do, you know, we, what we can do is and we walked to the meeting, he's like, all you said was no. Oh, you said was that no. <laughs> we couldn't do stuff. And I'm like, I've learned that's the only way to get them to, um, you know, to trust you. Yes. And to want to do business. To understand you. the boundary. Right.
0: To get to those bound To get to the no. I right. think there's a book about that. Yeah. Get to the no, and then from there
1: is an opportunity. You wrote about that. I did. Yes. I did. Get um, to the and- I really feel like uh, again, I, my most ex- my experience in business is mostly with Northern European people, but Northern European people know is an opening bid. Yeah. It's not a closing bid. Yeah. Um, You know, Americans almost never say no. Yeah. Um, They'll be like, oh, yeah, totally. Sounds great. And then ghost you. You know, they'll never say no. Yeah. Um, Europeans are like, nope. Uh, And then, you know, wait for you to come back with some more stuff. Yeah. Uh, And I think that's a thing that Americans need to really, it's very jarring to them because they're like, oh, God, they said no. I'm like, oh, no, but it means. It means come back with yeah. a different taste. Tell me more. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, that's that's a very big yeah. uh, cultural difference um, and that you have to just kind of navigate and get through. Listen to Lauren speaking about imposter syndrome growing up. Well, I grew up uh, on the East Coast, um, New York, New Jersey, um, Philadelphia, near Philadelphia. And um, I was extremely loud and I was extremely... Um, chaotic. I had really? yeah. Oh yeah. That is hard to believe. Oh yeah. Knowing you now. Oh wow. Um, I had undiagnosed ADD. Okay. ADHD at the time, and so I was, I was tall and weird and loud and creative as hell, and everything was a play. I I, I wanted to act out, you know, act things out all the time, and dance and sing and always performing all the time. Nice and um, yeah, just really was high, high, high energy. And then? Um, I got that beaten out of me actually uh, really a lot because uh, we moved around a lot growing up and I was bullied a lot. Um, and that's also why I really you know, learned the effect of bullying on people and the imposter syndrome that it gives you. Uh, I really thought it was me. I thought I was the fucked up one. I really thought I was the screwed up one for a very long time. And then it has taken me a long, long time to realize that my weirdness is the best thing about me. Yeah. But that's, I mean, that's only been in the last 14 years or so that I've, yeah. already, I've, turned, I've really figured that out. You
0: know, like movie around for me, I don't know if you had this experience, but when it, it Interestingly enough. I don't know if I've ever shared this on the podcast, but I lived in Europe in Italy and then in Dominican Republic. And because of the racism in Italy, I was never considered to be a cute girl or the hot girl or whatever. Not that that matters, but I'm just saying. So of course was, it matters that was my, of pers- course it that was my perspective. Yeah. Right? I was not the one to have the boyfriend or the first kid, right? In my group of friends. I was always the one to not get dates and right. things like that. And being in Dominican Republic, I was considered the popular girl or the cute girl and the hot girl and the ones that the guys were chasing around. And I say that's not to, to boast myself, that's not the point. And the point is, like, moving around, I realized that, like, people are full of shit and they don't know yes. anything about me. <laughs> this is it. <laughs>
1: this is it.
0: And I was like, how I being the same person, Right. right. Oh, wait, how I being the same person. Get so many different opinions about myself. Exactly. Like I'm not
1: going to believe any of them. Well, that's that. That's fantastic. That's a fantastic learning. Meanwhile, I was always the freak, so I never got to experience the pot. You didn't
0: didn't travel far enough
1: culturally. Right. (laughs) right, Yes. So uh, yeah, I was always. It was pretty much unanimous in the fact that I was freaky. Mm. Um, And. What's interesting about it, actually, is um, I, I hated school, uh, under you know, before college. I loved college, but um, up until high school, I was bullied. I was very unpopular. I had, I had my art, my, my acting to kind of escape to and everything, and then I moved. I moved so far away. I, I just got out of that area, and I went to Europe, and I've never looked back, and I think I'm hugely glad that I kind of pushed me away. My brother, super popular. Yes. captain of the football team. Yeah. Super had lots of friends in high school. Very mm-hmm. popular. Lives fifteen minutes away from from where he, went to high school, <laughs> where he went to high school. I think there's an entire book in you know just that, in that. Yes, because I mean it's there's nothing wrong with that, but I I kind of feel like the more that you were you did not fit in in pre college experience, mm-hmm. the more you are almost forced to define for yourself who you are and what you want
0: to be. I feel
1: that. I feel that a lot. Yeah. Yeah. And so I, I, as an adult looking back, I'm now, you know, glad that I was pushed Mm. to get away in that way, get away from kind of a high school self. Um, but at the time it sucked. (laughs) It was terrible, but yeah. And then I went to college and I was like, oh my God. Oh my God. You mean me being yeah. weird is a great thing yeah. and like I can I have, do whatever I, have I want. Yeah. I have uh, what is it, skills? I have <laughs> skills and I can like learn things and nobody thinks I'm a nerd for wanting to learn. Yeah. All of that. I went through all the fields. Yeah.
0: That's really great. I, I think like I have I had a similar experience. Um, in terms of like like you said, like because because I felt like I've never fit in anywhere. I was forced to make my own, I don't know, island or something, right. or right. find mm. my place. Right. And even now, I feel like no place is my place. Mm. I am My place is where I'm at, mm. so I make my place wherever I am at. Right.
1: Um, as long as that works for you, that's great. Yes. I mean, that can flip on you and become very lonely um, if you let it. If you. Oh
0: no, I, I don't mean it in a lonely way, I mean it in like... Um, Almost empowering, like you can make
1: any place your own. Well, I mean, you have moved countries now. I have, so I moved many countries, right? (laughs) I guess yes. Most recently, you have moved countries, and is that? Do you feel like that you are you're making your home here?
0: My home, like I said, my home is where I'm at. So if I'm here, it feels like home and at the same time i also see like other places could be my home Mm -hmm. so i am all open about home
1: and that is that i I think that is what they call the third culture kid syndrome uh where once you've lived uh especially really different places growing up yeah you no longer feel tied to any particular place I don't yeah that's true yeah I never heard about that oh yeah third culture kid I think it's called that's interesting yeah because you did it growing up as well as I. yeah so I I had no issue leaving the U.S. at all because I had never felt there was no place that was home to me in the U.S. and I just wanted to go to a place where you know, the outside matched my inside. Yes, a lot more than it did in the U.S. And I found it here. You nice. Know, that's what I found. Yes. I found like, oh, in general, you know, very generally, the social system, the 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 way that people behave, their belief systems are generally aligned to mine, yeah. and that feels that feels like home to me. That feels nice. Yeah, it's, it doesn't. I don't. I don't. I can't live. I don't understand cultures where. People are judged on their outsides. I don't fundamentally. Mm. I mean, I know that sounds. I'm a white person, so that sounds like bullshit. But I really don't. I don't understand it. I can't. It, I can't grasp it. Yeah. Why? Why people would behave that way? I guess. I mean, you know, I was judged on my outside as much as I. There was no racism. Obviously, I'm white. But you know, I was a freakish, tall, you know, hyper child, and so I did get judged. And I would never. I cannot imagine. Inflicting that on yeah. anyone else. Yeah. Kids are
0: hard. Kids, kids are, kids are, kids are, are so, so mean. And kids they're so only, so... It's
1: only getting worse. I thank so... God that I grew up not in a time <laughs> of social media.
0: You moved a lot around the States growing up. Mm-hmm. And you were weird in your own way. Fantastic. Doing your own thing. Um, talk to me about like uh, growing up. like Your parents and your influence and maybe... Yeah how does it uh, reflect into today and the work that you do right. maybe
1: so um, my mother was she she stayed at home through most of my growing up but she was extremely they were both very political very politically active worked on a lot of democrat democratic candidates campaigns And my mother was very, very active in the NOW movement, uh, which uh, the National Organization of Women, trying to pass the ERA, the Equal Rights Amendment, Mm -hmm. uh, which was very significant in the 70s. Up until the 70s… That's really cool. Yeah. It was not even possible for a woman to have have her own checking account. I remember. No, I remember reading about it. (laughs) You're too young to remember that. But you know, when I mean, when I was born, and like for the first few years of my being alive, you know, women really never, hardly ever worked out of the home when they had children, uh, unless they had to, um, couldn't have their own checking accounts, had to have a checking account in the name of their father or their husband. No joke in America. Yes. Yes. Um, You know, didn't have credit, didn't have any. Quite literal, bank credits did not have yeah. any of the financial and economic tools. And so there was this um, piece of legislation called the Equal Rights Amendment that mm. was that they were trying to pass um, that would give women a lot of the same rights that men already had. And it was a hard fight. Mm. And so um, my mother was 100% focused on this and very politically active and was a first-wave feminist. And first-wave feminists believe believed there is no difference between men and women we should all act the same we should you know you should strive to be as tough and as strong as a man you're right and it i mean it you know was a it was a time that that needed to it need, you needed to be tough and strong, uh, you know, to compete with men. Um, but then that's why you see you you saw leaders like Margaret Thatcher and all this stuff being like very tough, very male, very uh, you know, yeah, like yeah. because this was this belief of like in order to compete, you needed to be more male than the men.
0: Yeah, and you know, like part of me being grew up in corporate, you we've we've experienced the women that are now in maybe in leadership ranks, that do still act this way. And thankfully for us, they have been able to get to the point where they can open, be aware enough to open doors and let us not be that. Right. But there was that moment where that was needed, perhaps. It had to. It It had had to to. happen.
1: You had to. You had to be more male than men for men to even be able to see you You. at all. And so, you know, but that's the way I grew up. So the great news about that is I... I was raised incapable of understanding why there would be any Different. difficulty for me to get any job or do whatever the hell I wanted. You know what I mean? Like in this very strange way. So when I actually started my career, I was like, what do you, what, what, what do you mean? I'm a woman. And that means I can't, But <laughs> Like I, I couldn't pro- process. You were why, confused. Yeah. Why it was weird and why people were, I, there was discrimination and I was like, I don't get it. Yeah. I don't, I don't understand. Um, my, Father was a chemical engineer and um, taught me scientific inquiry and critical Mm. thinking. I mean, both of them were good at really teaching me critical thinking. Um, And that has set up everything in Mm. my life. I think the ability to say, but is this true? Yeah. But is this true? Where's and the evidence? Where's the evidence? Yeah. Where's, the evidence? Yeah. where's the evidence? And my father really drilled into me the fact that if there is no evidence, there you there's no reason to believe in it. Which he took to the extreme because he was an atheist and I have moved away from this sort of extreme. I mean atheism is in itself a kind of fundamentalist ism yeah. because it believe you know, it's like yeah. no one of no it. evidence, so no, nothing. And I moved away from that. But the the good news um the the good thing that I got out of that is that spirit of inquiry of like if there's not evidence yeah. then it's up for debate. <laughs> then it's an opinion. <laughs> yeah, then it's an
0: opinion. Then it's an opinion. Then we cannot make
1: any final statements about it. And I think the I think so much of the problems in society today are because we are not we, we have moved away from teaching children critical thinking skills. Mm. And the ability to really question everything that they're taught and that they <laughs> see and that they learn—it um, was very, very convenient societally for a while for people not to be critical thinkers. Yeah, you know, and that—but that is how fascism happens. Yes, because you know, when when people take automatically take what you're telling as the truth, you can control them. Correct. And that is how people have been controlled. Yes. And so, I think that they're reaping what they sowed in a way they didn't anticipate. I'm speaking specifically of the American government when I say that. <laughs> we were all referring to it inside, right? right. Um, I mean, but you're even seeing it here as well. It's not uh, Europe is not immune to you know that kind of lack of critical thinking amongst certain people. Um, you know it's when they're when you're exploiting people's lack of critical thinking skills again not taught not that they can't operate that way but they've never been taught and fear because the world is changing um you can make them do anything yes and that's where we're seeing the problems now yeah and so i am really grateful that my parents taught me real critical thinking skills and enabled me to do that and so, it it is really a great thing to not only question your own beliefs, but also be in relationships with people who will who will debate with you, who mm-hmm. will call you into you know, who will say, "But why do you believe that?" Yes. What is that based on? Yeah. Because that is the thing that makes us all grow.
0: Yeah. The beautiful thing that you've mentioned a few times about parenting, I think, as well, is that um, I think children have when when there is an environment that allows for that have the innate ability to reflect all those things back to you <laughs> yeah and as a mom i can tell you my children are the best at pointing out all my holes and my flaws and i have to stare at them in the face and reflect on those through them through them as a mirror right, right. the the and i have to like I'm presented with myself almost through their eyes, yes,
1: um, which has been an experience in its own. Yes. Um, yeah, and that is that is a core part of, ch- of a child's development, is yeah. defining the world around them. And actually, it's a key part of, specifically of development, away from the, the dependence on the parent.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Here we talk about working on yourself.
0: So growing up in your career was that's something that you were aware of, imposter syndrome, you have the feeling
1: of being weird or was that part of your progression as a professional? Yeah, it's really interesting. Um, I, it's, it's very black and white. In my career, mm. I had very little doubt. Mm. Very little doubt. In my interpersonal relationships with people, I had a lot of doubts. Okay. Um, I was very afraid of other people. How is that? Work. Work? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. It just, it did. Um, I, w- when it came down to the things that I knew how to, like, I, that I was good at, mm. I had no doubt. No doubt. Yeah. I believed in my ability to communicate. I believed in my ability to write. I believed in my ability to, you know, get up on a stage and perform. I, like, there were certain mm. things that I knew I was good at. Yeah. And I had no doubt. Interpersonal relationships was something I really struggled with for a lot of my life, um, and I think it was it is fundamentally comes down to the fact that um, I was very, very stressed about what people thought of me yeah. and very very stressed about um, I should say my father um, is autistic or is on the spectrum of autism, um, never I diagnosed, but it 's very obvious um, and <laughs> I think um, it has given me. I'm not. I, I am not on the spectrum, but it has given me a a, a social fear mm. about being misunderstood and about feeling weird in mm. social situations. Um, and I don't. It, it took me a very long time to really feel a part of and feel like I had friends who actually liked me for me. Mm. And so. Career-wise, it, you know, great. But then what happened was because careers happened with other people around. Yeah, right? that
0: have, I was that was right.
1: So what was ha- what would happen is I would be great at the job that I had that was right here, and then everything around it like all the politics, all of the thing where you had to interact with other people, I was terrible at. And so I would leave a lot of jobs because I didn't know how to deal with the the people side of the job, hmm. and. Um, it got worse and worse and worse until I had a burnout, until I really got, I had, I had in essence, what is a nervous breakdown, yeah. um, because I could not, um, I couldn't understand how to be myself with other people. Yeah, especially when performing. Yes. Yes. And that is actually partially why I was so attracted to acting in the first place, yeah. was I could act like a normal person. Yes. Um, and so what I, I was able I,
0: to I to understand that. I feel that. Like, I feel like I don't know. Like, w- there is some type of acting that I've I've have to do right. to masks, masks be at war. Yes, I'm not stressed about it now. But like, I yeah, yeah, I, I get that. Yeah. So,
1: the the journey that I went on up until like my late thirties. I mean, I was it took me a long time. Um, was I'm weird. I don't fit in anywhere. Um, and I need to keep moving so nobody, you know, until somebody notices, <laughs> like it takes about two years for somebody to really notice that I don't know what I'm doing in yeah. terms of social yeah. aspects. Job, not an issue. Um, and then, you know, I had a nervous breakdown in essence and was drinking a terrible amount and um, had to, because of life and death, had to become an expert on myself.
0: Mm.
1: Because otherwise I would have died. Yeah, and. This is the journey, so this is the big, so I really refer to myself now as Lauren 2.0 in a way that is very profound because up until I was 39 I was a complete stranger to myself and I had to do some very serious therapy, you know, research, self-assessment and diagnosis using all sorts of tools to understand who I was, Mm. understand what my strengths were outside, even outside of work. You know, I kind of I had a good sense of what I was good at in terms of what people were willing to pay me for. Everything else was a mystery, and I didn't really understand. My God,
0: I feel that too. Well. <laughs> right? Like a lot of times, I feel like I don't know myself beyond specific things. And then there's days that I'm like, Oh
1: no, I know myself. Here I am, sure. And then there's this I'm like who the fuck am I? Right, and everybody goes through those days. The problem was I never knew myself. Never, and I was ever. always in self-doubt always. And it was killing me. Yeah. It was absolutely killing me literally because I was self-medicating. Yes. And so um, in order to get to get over all of this, I needed to break down everything I understood about myself. Yeah. You know, you made a comment earlier um, who am I if I'm not an American? Yeah, who am I? I had to go through the who am I who, if I'm not angry because I was angry all the time. I was oh angry God. all the time. Yeah, and so I had to release anger and accept that a good thing was going to fill up the anger, the place where the anger had been because it was such a part of my personality. Mm. Um, I'm so much less angry now. It's yeah. such a beautiful I thing. Can, I can tell, yes. Um, she was a part of me that um, did not... I, I never learned how to process anger. And that was an extremely important thing that a lot of people don't know how to do, especially women. Uh, we, we aren't allowed to be angry. We aren't allowed to feel that kind of emotion. We're allowed to cry. We're allowed to be sad. Sad. But we're not allowed to be angry. We have to be helpless. Right. Right. But so, yeah,
0: the yeah. anger. I yeah, I feel that too. Yeah, we're
1: not allowed to be angry,
0: especially at men. Right.
1: Right. And even bigger than than individual men, we're not allowed to be mad at the patriarchy. You know, and that is what the patriarchy is. Patriarchy is a system set up by men, even if. The men who exist now had nothing to do with the way it was set up. Yeah, it was set up by men. Yeah, and we're in a system where um, maleness, male characteristics, are rewarded and female are not. Yeah, in most cases. I mean, you know, you have yeah, yeah. certain industries where it's okay to have female characteristics, but in general, especially again in STEM, ma- you know, male characteristics are the way forward.
0: Yeah. As we talk about how women use male characteristics, uh, we talk about the patriarchy and
1: how that's a system of imposter syndrome as well. And so, you know, there, there is a, a lot of women feel directionless anger. Yes. You know, like that, that general anger, that generalized anger. And so they, they, they push it away because it's not directed at. It's not about, it's not about anything. Yeah. And it, it is because they run. They've run into the, the the system. Yeah, they've hit the system. They've hit the system uh, where. Oh, it is that way.
0: Yeah, I feel that. Yeah, where you're screaming at something, but there's nothing. There's nothing to scream. Uh, yeah, like you said, it's like directionless, right? Like wh- what? I cannot be angry at. Uh, uh, at my husband, I cannot right. be angry at at my co my coworkers, I cannot be angry at my employer. Where am I put in this frustration? Right. That it's in me. Right.
1: Yeah. Um, and it's and I feel bad for the men in our lives because they take the they take the brunt they of that. They take the
0: brunt of that. Because yeah.
1: they're in front of us doing yes. being men. Yeah, you know, and uh, sometimes they deserve it, and sometimes they don't. But you know, they get the brunt of it, yes. so it sucks. And I try to, I try to, I try to be very clear with myself. And that is what it is. Is is, it is really important to become an expert on yourself so that you can be clear because shit still will happen. Yeah. You will still get the directionless anger. But you, but I will say, oh, this is not about you. I'm mm-hmm. sorry. I'm sorry. This is not about you. But I'm just angry. It's her, you know. <laughs> and I just need to get it out. And. Yeah. To, when you're clear about the where the you know the fact that it is this thing as opposed to this person in front of you yeah um, it avoids a lot of misunderstandings and, and useless fights
0: yeah I, I have to say like kudos to our partners right that are dealing with us yes. this part of us now yes. and I mean maybe not because of their doing but because of other doings um, I think they're becoming also. It's part of them that is becoming even more sensitive and aware of us through sure. this process. For sure. I find it quite beautiful. Yeah, it is. I, as long as it's you know like not toxic. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Um, I I'm really lucky now. My partner is extremely um, comfortable with talking about this stuff yes. and communicative. I mean, he's British, so you know. <laughs> There are some like I, I can't I don't feel that like I can't feel what you're talking about but I understand that you are feeling it yeah like he he validates my feeling even though he's like I you know I'm yep. I'm British I'm feeling impaired <laughs> that's good yeah so um, but he I'm I'm really lucky in that he will let me sort of be like the patriarchy and not and not, and not be like well not all men you know like. <laughs> yes it's not about you yeah, not, I'm not <laughs> trying to make it about all men for God's sake. Yeah, so that, um, but that is, I think it's really, really important um, to be an expert on yourself. So, what is in store for Lauren 2.0? Yeah. What are we doing with
0: the book? Yeah. Where are we taking it? Yeah.
1: So, the book actually started from an idea of, an, some ideas for workshops. So, okay. what I actually want to do is get into workshops with, nice. with people um, and start working through the shit because <laughs> to yeah. work. Through. Yeah. Um, a book is great and a book is like, is a kind of a um, a way to start the conversation mm. but it's hard work, man. It, it is hard work and I don't really expect anybody to sit down and do the exercises in the book by themselves. Mm. Like it is a it's there a lot of the exercises are there and can be done. They can be done, but it is difficult work. Mm. And I want to do this stuff. I want to do this. This is what I want to do. In partnership yeah. with with, with groups of mm-hmm. groups of people. Yeah. Um, so the next step for me is once the book comes out, um, November 9th, uh, it will be the opening of a conversation uh, to get people into workshops.
0: Love it. Yeah. We're going to be looking forward to that. Yeah. And I'm probably going to need this too.
1: Love <laughs> it. Let's do it. I would love it.
0: Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Thank you. For I will put all of the links to Lauren's website her book um, and anything else uh, her social media and anything else that she wants to share with the audience. <laughs> Thank you for coming Thank you guys. Just love it Thank yes. you there you have it. I hope you like this episode and please don't forget to share like comment on the podcast link. Tell all your next person friends and family about it. Submit a recommendation for guests at www.emboss.io. Subscribe on your favorite podcast app. Donate by clicking on the anchor link and help me continue to make great episodes. You can find all this information on www.unboss.io. See you next time. Oh, that was good.